Welcome back to Truth Serum. Serum. (laughs) A little bit tired there. Happy to be back. Happy Monday, everybody. Um, Today, we are going to have some fun. Trying to keep it light today. Last week, we said, Darren, we were going to keep it non-political, and it got political quick. (laughs) Remember, every single time. Yeah, it tends to happen. Yeah, you can't have a conversation about anything without it. That's because right-wingers, the left-heart, the lip-tart. So we are... (laughs) Gonna try to keep it light today, and we're gonna stay out of the name calling. But we are gonna have a feisty, spirited conversation because Dwan Brown is in the house. Yes, yes, yes. I'm and here. we are talking about LeBron James, <laughs> and uh, we all know uh, if you follow him on any social media and see him on Facebook, do you know that he has a problem with his term "bronze sexuals"? And Felicia Michaels <laughs> is like that. in the house, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna be talking Hello. about whistleblowing. And um, that's what white people call snitching. And and we're going to find out uh, where is the place for that? Is it okay to dry snitch? Or do you have to stay true to the hood even when you get fondled? (laughs) So anyway, we are back. And uh, welcome to the show. Darren is back. Darren got on his hoodie and his hat. He's from New York today. Know what that means? No doubt. No doubt. Super cool. (laughs) And the question for today, for those of you who are out there listening, is how important is it to disconnect from the matrix, the news, social media, and disconnect with the people? How important is that to you? What do you think it means for your mental well-being, your sanity, and your happiness? That's the question of the day. You can call us at 310-986-6610. You heard that, Darren? I I memorized that number. Yeah. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> I, I still don't know it. So It's 310-986-6610. Tell us what your truth is. And we're going to kick it off. Uh, LeBron James is coming to Los Angeles. <laughs> Before Dewan even starts talking, <laughs> what does that mean to you, Felicia? I'd, I'd love to hear. Um, I think that's exciting. I mean, I haven't been to a basketball game in forever, but I am excited about it. My ex-husband used to love basketball. I think it's cool. It'll be like... Uh, it'll make it'll make the cachet of the Lakers go up. It'll be wonderful and good for him. I mean, he gave Cleveland his, but he went back there, did his thing, did his thing. Let him enjoy life a little, right? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have nothing in. No, I know. I love it. That, I love but it. I'm excited though. That's I'm excited to take my kids. So if it makes me excited, that's a mm. bonus. You know, I'm the least demographic, and I'm excited. You know that's what I mean? So funny. Uh, um, Chloe Hillier, who is a comedian posted on her uh instagram uh, she posted this meme and i thought it was so funny she was like ladies if your man gives you the dick extra hard <laughs> this week it's not about you it's because lebron is coming hey, to los angeles I, I see he has a point for these dudes out here and like you you mentioned something this earlier special i don't have an issue with lebron james 
but I hate his fans. That's right. His fans ain't shit. God damn it. They always changing the rules. They always making things like he the first person to do stuff that he the 20th person to do. You know what I mean? I don't, that's what I don't like about him. Like, this, it's his fans. Like, I don't mind him coming to L.A. because he's going to be judged on the Lakers scale now. Okay. The Lakers scale what does is, that mean? The Lakers scale is, did you win it all or did you not? Pure and simple. We don't care how many assists you had. We don't care how many triple doubles you had. We don't care if you're the first person to score 1,300 points and 1,600 rebounds. We don't give a fuck about none of that. Did you win the championship? Yes or no? He has four years. So that means he got two years to catch Paco Saul. Let's go. You're um, a Lakers fan? I'm a Lakers fan. Oh, yeah. You talk. But I like, I like basketball, but I'm a bigger basketball fan than I am a Lakers fan because I know I coach basketball. Like, like I, I look at basketball from a scientific point of view, not just a fan. Like, I really, like, study it. Do you not consider yourself um, a LeBron hater? No, I'm not a LeBron hater. <laughs> sure. Because it, when it comes to basketball, is what did you do on the court? That's not hater. It's not love or dislike. It's okay. what what happened in the context of the game. And, like, I come from a, a debate background. You know what I mean? Like, No shit. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's the thing. Like, I was on a debate team in, at CSUN. You know Me what I mean? Too. And so... When it comes to a, when it comes to an argument, not at season. When it comes to an argument, you have your subject and your three supporting arguments, yeah. to, 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 contentions, to, to contentions to support your your argument right. and your conclusion. That's right. And so, if someone has that, it's your job to come back to me with an argument, yeah, and a then we, we can either agree or disagree and move on. But if I come with an argument with supporting evidence and your reply is a hater, I'm like. Nigga, you a brown sexual. That's just how I look at it. Because going back to what you were saying, because have this is the thing. It's not a whole thing about gay, none of that. I don't get into all that stuff. I don't care what a person is. A brown sexual is a straight dude, usually. But he's a dude that just because he signed with the Lakers tonight, he gonna pump his gal a little extra hard tonight, like you said. Uh. <laughs> like he looks at LeBron like he's a dude that can't tell you what his kids scored in their AAU game last week, but he can tell you all LeBron James' stats. That's the problem I have. Cats like LeBron James more than they like they woman. So. If dudes, <laughs> if dudes pay as much attention to they women as they do LeBron James, there'll be no divorces and a whole bunch of happy families. That's all I'm saying. So let the record reflect that <laughs> Dewan Brown is not a Bron hater. He hates the Bron sexual. Well, the fans. I, I will say this. I read an article where they had an iconic billboard on some side of a building of LeBron James. And when he left the first time, they took it down. And then it came back and they put it back up. And they just yeah. took it Ain't down no again. And oh. I, that's why I get a little bit pissed. Like, come on, you guys. He came back. This yeah. is show you how, how much I like LeBron. I flew to Cleveland and I saw his first game in Cleveland back with the uh, as a member of the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. When he first, remember, remember like what she was saying. When he went down to Miami, everyone burned right. his jerseys. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And so I, I flew to Cleveland December 3rd, 2011 to see that game just to see the atmosphere of Cleveland. Just to and see specifically that game? Yeah, because wow. I, want, I wanted to take in the atmosphere. I'm like, I'm a basketball lover. Like, I love this game. So I flew out there just for the just to get in the environment. Would that fall under the uh, category of a uh, bronze nah, sexual? Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I think when you fly for LeBron, you're I, I, a bronze I, sexual. I've been, nah, I've been to 20 arenas. Around oh, okay. I, okay. I, that's what I, I, used to, I, I used to do that. I don't do it anymore. I got a He's family. He's an now. NBA sexual. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. I've been to most of the arenas. But like when I was in Cleveland, it was this one trucker at the gas station. He said, he, they saw my ID. They said, I'm, I said, yeah, I'm from California. They said, why are you here? I said, well, I wanted to see LeBron, you know, come back to Cleveland. And he said, you going to the game? Well, I'm telling you this right now. 
If you see that fucking LeBron James, tell him I said to go to hell. Oh, Lord. This was just some random trucker at a gas station. But that's how the whole city felt. Like, they was burning his jerseys. They was calling him the Lion King and all kind of stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, dude just went to another team. Calm down. You know, that that really bothers me uh, because... I because I went to Florida State. I went to a, oh, an, a sports school. Oh yeah. And then just being in that life, that it really bothers me the way they treat athletes. When athletes make decisions on behalf of their own lives mm-hmm. to get a better life, and they move, nobody ever gets that angry when somebody leaves Microsoft. Nobody. They, you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> only nobody. in sports, and it really is irritating because to them. It's your entertainment, but it's that person's business mm-hmm. and livelihood. And they all got to make decisions in their best interest. It's so annoying. Yeah, that's how it is. And I like, and I respect LeBron for making his own decisions. I like that because the owner, this, what I really like about him leaving Cleveland is because the owner of the Cavs during the last lockout, he made, it was one of his suggestions that they cut salary when they want to leave. Like it used to be you can get paid the same no matter where you want to sign. Like like LeBron James, if he stayed in Cleveland, would be getting like two hundred and fifty million. He's literally losing out on a hundred million dollars by signing with the Lakers over the Cavs, and that was a Cavs owner's idea to put that in to, to influence players to stay. So the fact that his main player leaves off his own idea, I'm with that. I like that. You're such a shit starter. Yes, I like that. <laughs> look, he's looking. He's smiling. I like he's that. Blushing wow. over here. So he lost a hundred million dollars. He lost a hundred million. He, he could wow, have a hundred really million dollars. He wanted to get the fuck out of Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I was going to ask as a Lakers fan. He has four years, right? Mm-hmm. What would, how many rings does he have to get for it to be successful? Well, four I, years. I look at it. Do you have a team good enough to win? Can you win with the team? The team they have at this moment now, they can't win nothing. But you know, I'm pretty sure Magic is going to put it together. So I'll give him a pass this year. But next year and the year after that, I'm sure they're going to have the shooters around him. They're going to have another. If he gets one more star and shooters around him, he should win two. Two out of four. I was going to say, he should get two out of these four. If, yeah, if he gets two things, shooters around him and one more star. If he gets those two, if you're the best player in the league, that's enough for you to win a championship. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so the, by the Lakers' metrics, this is what um, Dewan has established for uh, the bar that he has set Because for it's the, the Lakers. Because it don't matter who you are. Kareem had already won a championship, too, before he came here. You have to win here. Shaq was already in the finals. You got to win here. You know what I mean? That's the way it is. Lakers fans, boy, they are the the most, uh, it's an interesting cult. The most arrogant. I tell you. The cult. It's a cult. All right, we're moving on to the next story. Beyonce (laughs) and Jay-Z are on tour. I know you're going to have a good time on this one, too. So Jay-Z now has been uh, dressing differently. His hair is different. <laughs> and uh, there have been quite a few uh, in- interesting points of views that I've seen on the Internet. Some of the women in the Beehive has, have asked Beyonce to politely remove Jay-Z from their faces. They're like, stop shoving Jay-Z down our throats. We don't want him. We just want you. But the other thing that I keep seeing is uh, that Beyonce is emasculating Jay-Z. Because now he's like taking all these pictures, leaning on her, uh, wearing the pastel colors to match what she's wearing. And he's kind of like taking the side to her. Uh-huh. And, you know, as a, a feminist and a woman who like thinks that that, what's wrong with that, I think it's interesting. But there are a lot of people who think that she's emasculating Jay-Z. What do you guys think? I think, I don't know, if she's is she the one in charge of how the pictures go out? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure the photographer is the one telling them how to stand and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So I don't know if I want to blame her. You okay. know, Do you think he J- looks uh, mask? Uh, no, I think he, he looks, looks weird. 
like when I saw, like, <laughs> like that one that that one picture he had with him in the bed with no shirt on when she was landing him. She he looked like Florida Evans in that picture. <laughs> ashy as hell. He looked like he just did cartwheels and cinnamon. That's how ashy he was looking. And then he gonna but so but at the end of the day he's saying yeah so. Hey, you may look. I, I don't. I'm not in the. I'm not the kind of person that likes to blame women for men's decisions. At the end of the day, if the man says yes, it's on you, dog. <laughs> I actually think it's not uh, Beyonce that's whooping him. It's the little daughter, Blue Ivy. Because <laughs> oh, I saw yeah. a picture where the he dressed up like a Ken doll, and Beyonce was a oh, Barbie yeah. doll, right? Mm-hmm. And they were in the packaging, and Blue Ivy was in front. I was like, no, 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 she's whooping him. <laughs> And I think that's awesome. Why wouldn't you want to do that for your little girl? Like, why wouldn't you want to, you know, grow and be there for your wife? Sorry to be that person. Let me but say, I think it's awesome. I like when you, you know, she, I right. love when you say sorry to be that person. <laughs> my favorite line. My favorite not, Felicia Michaels line. I'm not, I'm not overall criticizing Daisy. I'm talking about that one picture where he looked ashy as hell. I wish, put, <laughs> I wish he put a shirt on. That's all I'm saying. Or some lotion or something. But the rest of them is like, I don't look at him as being, he's, he's older. He's maturing. You know, he's growing. And when mm-hmm. you grow, you go into different parts of your life. You know what I mean? My only thing is if he's if he's taking care of his wife, if she's happy, if he's taking care of those kids, and we don't have nothing to say about it. Really. Yeah, I mean, I was because married. I couldn't get my husband to take the garbage out, but you got <laughs> she got her man to get into a Ken outfit and yeah, into a box. Yeah, they were. I saw yeah, that. That's awesome. Every year they do something different for no, Halloween. So it's cool. Always Very cool. An event. Very cool. Darren, you think Jay Z been looking fruity? Nah, I mean, he's that's a forty-something-year-old man. You know? Huh? I mean, he's almost fifty years old. Mm-hmm. So what does you that know? mean? You got to start wearing pink? <laughs> no, nah, you just, you know. It's got to be nice to women so they take care of him. You know, he's a, he's an old man. Let him, <laughs> oh, let him grow. And yeah. plus, as a married man, there's something about when your woman tells, like, if you really love your woman and she be like, where this? She'd be like, all right. Because dudes, we really don't like dressing like that. We really don't like shopping like that. You know what I mean? We really don't like picking out. Oh, right. she, if, if she going to do it for us, uh, maybe what if if it looked totally out there like my wife ain't gonna, ain't gonna put me in a dress you know what I mean so if she puts it on me it's like okay it's mm. just part of being married would you, you like get in a, I'm sorry would you get in a Ken outfit and get into a box like a Ken doll man my wife store? will not tell me to do something that stupid <laughs> <laughs> my wife is not Beyonce <laughs> she's smarter than that. <laughs> that is, we are live with Dewan Brown and Felicia Michaels. Darren and I, we are talking about Jay-Z and Beyonce and Jay-Z's new style. Or did he evolve there? Is he being transformed into that? Some people say he's transitioning. Mm -hmm. The internet is hilarious. Black Twitter is even funnier than anything else. Um, If you have something to say, we want to know what's your truth. 310-986-6610. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about what's on your timeline.
syrup. July 2nd. What's up for the 4th of July, you guys? Just call us and let us know. 310-986-6610. Duan Brown is in the house. (laughs) And Felicia Michaels, you'll have to excuse me. I've been sleep deprived for two days. I've been uh, babysitting with my infant niece and I went two days without sleep. She kicked me in my neck. I have a pinched nerve. She's a little feisty baby. But um, I like them like that. I don't want her to be no. She could. Mm-hmm. She got hands, and she's <laughs> already a baby. So, um, what's on your timeline, guys? I, I've been um, I've been really, really paying attention to my timelines uh, because I know that they have the algorithms and being mindful of what I'm watching. Because there was a time where I would just get one police brutality video after the other, mm-hmm. and it just starts messing with my psyche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's on your timeline? Um, I, a lot on my timeline is about uh, liberals don't get too aggravated because that's Russian trolls. I see a lot of that kind of <laughs> stuff on my timeline. And I'm all like, the whole like, we're, we're not supposed to get agitated thing is weird to me. Like, mm-hmm. like what are we supposed to, you know? And, and I, I do get it about trying to be, like you said, mindful about what I'm reading and, and picking and choosing and reading a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, I don't know what is going on. I try mm-hmm. my best, but that's, I feel like a lot of people are in that space right now. So. I love it because they're always telling people mar- of marginalized groups, particularly black people and brown people, to be civil. They're always telling people, women, to be civil. Look at those feminazis. Look at those, everybody who's below, underneath, who's getting paid, um, you know, below the line is always being told to be complacent. Not complacent, but to be civil and to be, you know, they beat you upside the head, but you be the bigger person. And I think that we've been conditioned to believe that and why we stay, it has a lot to do with why we stay in the same places. You know, I am. A, I have to find my middle ground mm-hmm. in between because I think at some point I don't want to be a savage either. But I still think that civility has cost us a lot of things, and it appears yeah, it's going to cost us our democracy. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those things where like we get told to calm down by the people who ride it to get the country. You know what I mean? When it comes when it comes to speaking, I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm personally, I'm not a fighter personally. I don't like to as far as fist fighting. I know how, but I don't like doing it. Right. I don't like burning stuff down. That's not really my my style. That's why I got my degree in communication, so I can talk my way out of stuff. Right. <laughs> but most people ain't got it. Like some people just it, there are people out there who are warriors and they have to express themselves. And I remember like the nineteen ninety one riot, the ninety two riots here in L A. They were saying, "Oh, you shouldn't riot. Oh, look at these guys. They burned down the community." Like, no, no, that's not what happened. Like, I'm born and raised here in L A. Like, I was in the middle of the riots when it happened. My mom was one of those people who was always down the city councilman's office. And there was a lot of people in the neighborhood, black. Uh, this is before the neighborhood, the L.A. got as uh, diverse as it is now. It's basically still black and white in the Crenshaw area at the time. And so we um, we were always there. We were always doing our civic duty. We were always voting, you know what I mean, at school every day. We were always asking, nothing happened. And then they shot Latasha Harlins, you know what I mean, the, 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 the Asian store owner. And she, she got six months in, in uh, probation for killing someone. And then they beat Rodney King and they got off. We burned this place down. You know what I mean? We didn't burn down our stuff. We burned down people that were in the neighborhood that were occupying the neighborhood, giving us terrible service and, ter- and terrible stuff. We burned them out of there. We got rid of all them gun stores, all those liquor stores. All that stuff left L.A. And in 1993, when they came back and rebuilt L.A., we finally got businesses. Like We finally had our first big five in the hood. You know what I mean? We finally got our first 
Macy's in the hood. We finally got our first Walmart in the hood. And all that stuff, our first movie theater in the hood. All that stuff came when we got up and did something about it. Everything that we've been talking about that they've been ignoring that wasn't happening changed when we burnt this motherfucker down and they listened to us. Why? Because that's the language that they speak. They only speak in terms of property and money. They don't care about you as a person, the people that's in control. Um, and what's on your timeline? My timeline? A whole bunch of LeBron talks there. Yes, it is. <laughs> a whole bunch of LeBron talk. And people talking a little bit about what's going on with Trump and everything. You know what I mean? I think right now it's with the Supreme Court. You know, people are, you know, worried about what's going on. And I'm telling people right now, you don't have to worry. He's going to pick someone conservative, and you will not like a decision that they make, no matter who it is. So just relax. Yeah, we already know. Um, we it, it, People think that there's going to be a paradigm shift. Like, let's see what he does next. What else do you need to see? Yeah. <laughs> what else do you need Trump, to see? That's, when it comes, that's why Martin, Martin Luther King's, one of his greatest quotes is, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. Back yep. in, Donald Trump has been getting sued, actually sued in losing racism lawsuits since 1971. That's nope. why I tell my kids all the time, you guys don't realize, like, people my age can't believe he's fucking president. Like, yes. it's a joke. Like, it's so crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah. He, he was the Donald, but it, you know what I mean? And But it, his racism went unchecked, even on, even on his TV show. We saw the first few years how he would yeah. be on The Apprentice with the black business owners. We saw what it was, mm -hmm. but so did the people in middle America. And they were like, hell yeah, let's get him in the office. The Central Park Five. Yeah, he has a history. Um, so... What do you think about disconnecting from the matrix? I had to, over the weekend, um, I was really, really conscious of what I was taking in because I was with my family and I didn't want to not be present, as you said earlier, mm -hmm. Dewan. But also because it's affecting the way I feel. I don't want to walk around being mad at white people <laughs> because I think that I'm just being honest because right. I think that that stuff starts to feed you and it gets, oh, yeah. you get into that jungle fever mentality, jungle fever, do the right thing mentality. Mm -hmm. And you start walking around thinking that everybody, you know, a white person is looking at you because you're in the way and you think that they're a Trump supporter. And then you get into this whole, they think I'm a Mexican or they think I'm an illegal immigrant. And, that, and I see the way she's looking at me. Mm -hmm. And it's because I'm, re I'm on the internet internet and it's just all that stuff is being projected constantly that I I had to you know have a moment with myself and say I have to disconnect from this I can't be connected to this all the time well I think it's really important to disconnect from it but I and I think there's so many negative things that uh, can just seep into you off the internet just yeah. when you go through Twitter and you read the paper and all that but I think there's also positive things like the, the thing that gets me is uh, there was a uh, example on the internet about some guy on uh, Fox News said, you're out here cotton picking mind, right? Oh, yeah, I saw that. And so I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't know that was racist. My father's family was fruit pickers. They were uh, right. came from Oklahoma, and they went up to Northern California, grapes are rast style. And that's something we said, that was said in my family. What I don't understand is uh, that... People, when they hear that that's offensive, don't just take a moment and go, you know what, that makes complete sense. Right. I don't know why I didn't connect that. Mental note, never do that again. That's interesting to look at my family in the, uh, you know, being mm -hmm. kind of racist and all that kind of stuff. But that's what I don't understand is everyone just wants to uh, make everyone else live by a pure rule of what is right and what is wrong when it's so can mm -hmm. when why can't we just agree on certain things and move on i hate to be that person my apologies <laughs> no, mm -hmm. 
I, I hear you on that. Like when it came to, when it comes to that, like one thing about words, a general rule when it comes to words in the English language, words are morphed by the group, and every group has its own way of using words. And so whenever you have you can have a word that's acceptable within a group that's not acceptable outside that group, and that's true for every culture and every. Uh, and you also have words that are acceptable at different times. And um, when I heard the whole co- you watch your cotton picking mine. Honestly, I didn't take it as racism because I know what racism is. Right. Racism is a practice. Racism is the the denial of my humanity. Racism is saying you can't live here. Racism is saying you can't work there because you're black. Racism isn't a word. Yeah. A word is a is something that you choose. Now it could have it could, it could be a word with racist connotations, mm-hmm. with racist intention. And for that, I have to sort of know, understand your background and see where you're coming from. But for him just to say that like that, you're out your cotton pick in mind. My thing is this: it's like. Okay, is he? Did he say it? I don't know, but I'm gonna go. I'm to check his voting record. I want to see what kind of policies he voted for. What kind of stuff? Did he, what kind of stuff does he approve of in office? That's gonna tell me if he's racist or not. Not right. by his, not his words, right? Because I, I'm personally, I'm glad when people say I'm out my cotton picking mind because I am out my cotton picking mind. <laughs> I am no longer a slave and I ain't doing that shit. So yes, I am out of my cotton picking mind. That people get so damn angry about uh, being corrected. About mm-hmm. having their behavior corrected. It's like if, mm-hmm. if if someone wants to correct my behavior and it seems fair, why wouldn't I want to participate in that? I don't want to spread the ignorance. I don't. That's what I don't understand is the anger that people have about not being corrected. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, everybody's hypersensitive uh, on either side of whatever mm-hmm. the argument is. The the person who is uh, who feels like they've been wronged by whatever words have been said. I got into a really big, not a big argument, but I got in a very big disagreement with one of uh, the women that was on uh, the Young Turks because there's a teacher in Baltimore, like a 20-something-year-old teacher. I tell this story all the time because it's my example. Driving into a combat zone to teach black children, and she was talking to one of the little kids, and she said, you want them to look at you like you're one of them N-words? And one of the kids in the class videotaped her. Uh-huh. And she lost her job. So I was I was talking on the panel with a young woman who's a white liberal young woman and, you know, way on the left. And she got into this big old thing. She should be immediately fired. And I was like, no, she needs to be educated because whatever she thought she was saying, the intention behind it was not malicious. What she thought she was saying was racist because she was categorizing black people. And that's that, you know that uh what do you call it the respectability politics mm-hmm. that was, she yeah. didn't know she was engaging in that she really i watched it over and over again she really thought she was in mm-hmm. and she was trying to motivate that kid but when you fire her now that classroom in that combat zone does not have a teacher and a woman that is a white woman that in her early 20s driving into a combat zone to teach class I'll take that any day and educate it and shape it into what it needs to be because 23 is still really young as opposed to getting that person out of there and having a whole bunch of substitute teachers that don't give a shit about that kid. And I just thought it was a teaching moment. It wasn't like she was like, look at these effing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It, it, it was just completely. But as a society, are, you know, is that how we learn is by punishing someone so harshly that makes a faux pas? And I'm not arguing for or against, but maybe that's how we learn is, is uh, because this kind of weird scenario situation went on that is very convoluted and everyone can look at it 30 different ways. 
but oh my God, I need to make that correction of not to talk that way. But is that maybe the only way we as a greater society learn? That's that's my question. I don't know. As, as a black male growing up, like, as a black male growing up in the, in the school district, I've been told that in in various kinds of ways by mm-hmm. teachers. You know what right. I mean? And usually it wasn't. And it, 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 they intention on one end, they're saying, okay, you're better than that. But on the other end, it's still insulting. Yeah. Because it's like you don't want to be like a bunch of them. Like what? A whole bunch of disenfranchised people who, who are here by, by not their choice. You know, getting miseducated by a right. school system that doesn't give a fuck about them. Be like them. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? So it's like I hear, I, I see both sides of the argument. And that's why going back to your first question when you said, do you disconnect or not? I disconnect. You yeah. have to <laughs> you have to disconnect from the matrix. Yeah. You yes. have to disconnect from the system, the system. Because the system it serves its own interests. There is no there's nothing outside of any individual that can serve the individual. Only thing you can do is take from what's out there and serve yourself. So if you're always plugged into someone else's ideas, you're listening to someone else's words, you're listening to someone else's opinion, you're never gonna have time to de- de- develop the opinions of your own. And you're always going to be running behind other people and saying, oh, they're wrong, this and they're right, this wrong. Every scenario that we deal with in life has its own context. Every situation has its own code. You you interact with your parents and say things around your parents that you would never say around your friends. And if someone's watching it has a camera and, they, and you're talking to your friends about a certain thing and it's put out to the general public and they don't understand the context of your relationship, any of us can look kind of crazy. Yeah. And then what, when, what, what do we do? We get on <laughs> Facebook. And then everybody's arguing about this, 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 and that, and we've all done it on different levels. That's oh, why I say it's true. disconnect and find out what things are. Like, I spend my time, like, I don't let the news tell me what racism is. I read Dr. Claude Anderson's books. He studied racism, so I'm going to go to the information. I read Dr. Wilson. She studied racism. I read Dr. Neely Fuller. There's a lot of books out there, a lot of information on this stuff. So if I want to know something about something, I'm going to go to someone who researched it, someone who studied something for seven, eight, 10, 20 years and wrote a book about it. And I'm going to take what I can take from it and then see what I see from it. Because if I follow the news, they're going to have me confused all the time and oh, we ain't going nowhere. That's the news is a mess. That's Dewan Brown at Dewan B and Felicia Michaels at Felicia Michaels are live at truth serum. And we are talking about when is it time? If there's a time to disconnect from the matrix, social media, the news outside public opinion, do you take some time off just to serve your own mental well-being or do you stay connected all the time and drive yourself crazy comparing yourself mm. and um, just living in that, that thing? And I, I, I'm only talking about it so much because I've been guilty of it as of late. What's the longest you've ever disconnected, though? I know uh, Kimmy D in Santa Barbara, she do, goes all of July or something without going on Man, no, any I social media for a month. I'll go a week at a time sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, not too, Sometimes when I, when I say disconnect, I may still type a little shit talk on Facebook because I'm always trying to figure out what people are thinking when I'm, when I'm out there doing stuff. But as far as like watching the news and reading what's going on, Easily a week at a time because you, you find at the end of the week, your life, nothing changed. No, no matter what, no matter, right. no matter what happened, no matter what Trump did, no matter what, who got pissed you, who pissed you off, the, the quality of time you've had with those around you is much richer because when you're present, you can, you feel everything because as, as humans, we you know we're energetic beings. You know, you feel experiences, not just hear them. And when you, your face is in the phone the whole time, you're not feeling the situation out. You know what I mean? You're not getting everything out of the situation that you're in. So I say short term, you know, if you're not going to disconnect for a week, just whenever you're in a conversation with someone, 
Take that. In this moment, I'm having this conversation. I'm going to set my phone down until this conversation is over with. You do it in small increments. I'm going to watch this one TV show without 30 minutes. I'm going to watch this TV show from beginning to end without picking my phone up. And whatever you're doing, be present in it. And then you'll see a big difference. So I was putting my phone down while watching The Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like watching Twitter. I was like, oh, shit. This is the same shit that America's going through right now. It's like educating us on how it starts. Because even what I saw on CNN today, so there there was a man talking about um, how white people are going to be the minority in the next 20 years or, or so. And that's what the po- politicians are mm-hmm. using to manipulate the masses by instilling fear in them. But one of the things they kept talking about was how the white women's fertility was really low. Mm-hmm. And that oh, was, really? Yeah. And it was, as I, bet, I remember that at the beginning of The Handmaid's Tale, uh-huh. it was like, and then when you look at uh, the, the men who run you know, uh, Gilead, it looked like that when Donald Trump was sitting. Fuck, dude, you're in deep. All those white men. And, you know, I read that book years ago when I was really young, a very young girl, and I was like, I've always been a conspiracy theorist, so I was like, this shit is going to happen. So it's it's just reading about that kind of stuff. It's like, I I, I really recommend people read Dr. Francis Welsing's book, um, The ISIS Papers, because what she did was in the 1950s, uh, this black woman... Uh, as a 20-year-old, just graduated college, she went to Germany to study the Holocaust up close. She wanted to know what was in the mindset of the people to allow them to to allow their country to murder all these people. What was going on? And it studied that. And one of one of her conclusions in the book was it mass hysteria? No, uh, no. One of the uh, it was it was an indifference. It, it, when you get into it, they'll talk about their their propaganda, mm-hmm. which is exactly like the United States propaganda is right now. Like they would kill Jews in the street and normalize it on the news. They normalized it on news for at least a 10-year period before the, the mass extinction started taking off, before the mass killings started coming off. They they shot them. So kind of what we have right now in the United States, police killings, burning their business down, not respecting their property, and showing their on the news every night to normalize this in the minds of the people. Uh, but one of the conclusions she came up with when she surveyed the people who knew this Holocaust was going on, one of her things was she said that there's a fear of genetic annihilation in this population that needs to be addressed. And that was, she didn't go too deep into that, but she said the fear of genetic annihilation, meaning population decrease, uh, decrease in fertility rate, you know, and things like that. Also, you know, being a genetically recessive, when you, uh, you know, you know what happens when a white person and a black person have a kid, the kid is black. They have a black person. Yeah. So, um, and so it's, it's always been there. And like, there are books like in the 70s, like a book called The Turner Diaries, where they talked about this, where they talked about the one day when, you know, it will be the lowest population and we're going to have to rule from a minority. Hell, former presidential pa- uh, uh, candidate Pat Buchanan wrote a book about this in 2001. People forget. They're talking about Donald Trump. But the former presidential candidate Pat Buchanan wrote a book called Death of the West. And Death of the West was talking specifically about what we what we have going on right now. I would like to take it back a little bit. My mother was from Berlin, Germany, and I grew up in Germany. My my father was in the service. And my aunt was 10 years uh, older than my mother, who was born in 1940. And I got a chance to hang out and record my aunt talking about uh, World War II. What was it like being 13 to 16 years old, around that age range, about oh, World War II? And what was your first memory of things happening to Jewish people? And... Her first thing she said was, 
when people become passive, and this is what frightens me about the Trump administration, is we're now very passive about all the hijinks and all the terrible things that are going on mm -hmm. because he's overwhelmed us with it. So we become passive. And when, when she talked about that, she said to me, as a young girl, uh, my family wasn't uh, uh, in wasn't a, a Nazi or you know into that, but if neighbors came over that were into that, like a Trumper uh, in those days, and you had a, a book of Mein Kampf, you would take it out of your drawer and you would place it on the coffee table. You would have coffee and cake, and then they would leave, and then you would put it back in your drawer because you didn't believe it, but you didn't want to cause waves, so you just did small little gives like that. Mm -hmm. And that's what gives me huge fear about the Trump camp, uh, the Trump presidency, is we we're becoming too passive. And it's nice to see that when people go out there and uh, vote or when they march, all that obviously. And then another thing she told me, uh, coming to the point of when did you realize that Jews were being so incredibly discriminated against, and you understood that they were being killed? And she said to me, uh, they, my grandmother and my my grandfather was killed by nazis and uh, took my mother and her sister to bavaria right below eagle's nest where hitler stayed and they uh, my grandmother became the kitchen manager and so they got first dibs on all food because this is the hotel where the army guys and whatever would stay there when they would go visit hitler's nest and she said one day her mother sent her to the bakery to get bread fresh baked bread and that uh, food was very hard to come by, and she got the basket of bread because of the uh, everyone that stayed at the hotel. And that she was walking home, and there was a chain gang of Jews, and that one of them broke away from the pack and grabbed at the basket, and the basket fell down, and he started, he was obviously starving, eating the bread, mm -hmm. and that a soldier came over and shot the Jew in the head, put all the bread in the basket, and, and gave it back to my aunt, and my aunt went to the hotel and told her mother immediately what happened. And my grandmother slapped her face and said, don't you breathe a word of it to anybody. Wow. So, wow. so there, there can be a, a million different things like we spoke of earlier before the podcast where everything could be true. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like it is passive behavior. It is the fear of the white race going extinct. Everything could be true. You know, yeah. it's, it's, so, a, it's, it's, it's a huge combination of things. Going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, that's that's normalization where, you know, that's where that's why I was going back to what you're talking about disconnecting, mm -hmm. because when you're always into what's going on, you you're going to fall into group think and group yes. think is one of the most dangerous things you can be involved in, because most of the time the group is headed off a goddamn cliff. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Especially when you look at it in a country where school shootings are now normal. Do you really want to be with that group's think or do you want to figure it out on your own? And that's why I say, you know, when it comes to the news, scan it, know what's going on, but never really get into the why. Like, let them tell you what happened, but when they get into telling you all the why, that's when they spin it in bullshit. Well, at least cross-references. But, yes. but the thing is, if you're living in middle America or, or anywhere in America and you got two jobs and you got two kids, how how are you even able to spend time cross-referencing the news for well, four that, hours a day? Oh, no. Mm -hmm. because you know? I, did you read that article, uh, The Dumbing Down of America? Mm -mm. It was, I think, in the New York Times or the Washington Post. And it was really, really scary because this is all by design. This is not, mm -hmm. you know, this is all part of the play. Like Donald Trump is just a, a piece, a chess piece on the board. He's not, you know, everybody thinks that it's him. It's him. It's him. It's an agenda. and He's part of the play to fulfill it. 
and the dumbing down of America with um, I remember in the the Behold the Pale Horse, the the book, mm-hmm. the, it, it talks about us having a chip in our hand. Yeah. And this is the chip that we have. It's not yeah. a physical chip, but it's like they always know where we are. The tr- you know, these are tracking devices. All of that stuff. Yeah. It was just talking about all of that. And we have become, you know, we had just become programmed. And it's if, if it's not what happened on power last night, you know, you're either part of the resistance or you hate liberal people. It's like we've become so... Uh, it's groupthink. Yeah, it's, it's, it's groupthink. It's very dangerous. It's and it very is, dangerous. It, but it's not an accident. It's been they've been writing about this for years, and uh, we are responsible for our independent thinking, and we have to take our that. That's part of the resistance. The real part of the resistance is not being part of a mob and letting mm-hmm. one person think for us all. The real resistance is thinking individually. Uh, you know, for yourself, and, and what, what for what do you want for yourself? Finding yourself and knowing who you are, and knowing that you're a unique individual. You're one out of seven seven billion. Yeah, and everyone's not going to and stop looking for people to reinhance to reinforce what you think. Feel like read. Thank you. That's follow. a really good yeah. one. Yeah, you follow. You don't follow people. You follow information. You find. You follow. You you, you source information. You you educate yourself and educate. That people think going to college is education. No, going to college is training for a job one day. Yep. Educating is educating yourself is fine. If you have an interest in something, find out how it works. Find out what goes on with it. Now, when the news is telling you something, you're not going to be following trends. You're going to be. You're going to be. You're going to be down and uh, within yourself and have the confidence to know that if you're the one out of a billion, if you think a certain way and that's the way you feel and it resonates with your heart. Stand to your truth. 100%. I'll tell you, when I went to the, going to Israel, going to Africa, going to Asia, those are the, some of the most eye-opening experiences that I had. Specifically, when I went to Israel, I went to Palestine. And I went to Ramallah. And I went to uh, Bethlehem. And I actually spoke to people in Ramallah. I actually interviewed this woman who was a journalist that was originally from there who moved to the States and then went back because she felt like she needed to go back to be an advocate. But I, I talked to Israeli mothers mm. and I, I always go to moms. That's just what I naturally gravitate to. And every mom that I talked to said the same exact thing to me, whether they were in Palestine or Israel, we just want peace for our children. We don't want our children to be in this government's fight. We are the ones who lose our children and they're the ones who continue to get rich. When I went to Africa, I bathed in one of the most beautiful beaches that I've Mm -hmm. ever seen in my entire life. And I saw some of the most beautiful people, beautiful homes. But I have been programmed to believe that Africa is a desert, Mm -hmm. a jungle, a safari, everything that you think about what Africa is. And when I went there and I talked to the people, it was just such an eye-opening experience. And I feel like traveling for me, especially now that I feel like I may have to move to another country, because <laughs> I'm not loaning out my now, uterus. Now you can because your children are grown. I know, but I'm just like sitting around thinking like that. Those experiences are what made me, you know, made me help shape some views that I didn't have. And there's always this mentality that there's a good guy and a bad guy. That's what we're programmed to believe. And it's like what we talked about earlier. Sometimes there isn't a good guy and a bad guy. Sometimes they're all bad guys. Sometimes they're all good guys. But usually the people who are spinning the narrative are really the ones who are the bad guys, right? Yeah, and and there's such a small part of the population. 
you have six media companies that own and control 96% of what we see, read, and hear. You know what I mean? And then also now you got, you know, you have Clear Channel. They own basically all the radio stations. And, you know, it is what it is. I'm not dissing it. But when you have one or two people making the decisions for what everyone hears, and that's when you run into this because yeah. these are the same people who donate to these politicians. These are the same people who put money behind governments around the world. You know what I mean? And the best thing that you can do is the best way to control the people is to control their minds. And the only way your mind can be controlled is if you don't know what you think and you're focusing on what other people think. All right. On that, that was Dewan Brown. Felicia Michaels is in the house. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to find out what these two are up to and if they could date somebody who is on the other side of the political aisle. And we'll be right back with <laughs> Truth Serum. and Juan Brown are in the house and we've been having these deep conversations that we hope the government isn't listening to because <laughs> uh, everybody in this room is a rebel and will fight and we will fight with our minds, the mighty pen, mm -hmm. the microphone, and a bat if need be. It's enough rage in this room to end it all. End it all. Uh, so what's going on with you, Felicia? Where can people see you? What's coming up for you? What are you working on? I know you did your one-woman show. I did my uh, one-woman special show, which uh, hopefully will be on Amazon August 15th. Oh, nice. Yes. And uh, and then I started a new podcast called Liars Club uh, with Jessica Wellington at the Comedy Store. So that's been fun. What's, about, what's it about? Why is it called uh, We Liars just invite Club? comedians or people in the comedy business to come on and tell one true story and one lie, and then we kind of figure out which one is a lie. But it's really interesting to see you start to really get to know someone when mm -hmm. they lie to you more than when they tell you the truth. Nice. Yeah, yeah. We start playing that at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, actually I have a new podcast I'm starting again called The Breakthrough Hour. It's dedicated uh -huh. solely towards mental health. 
Oh, nice. You know, my, oh, nice. My profession, I've been working in mental health the last 10 years, and I also opened up my own company, Breakthrough Advocacy Services, IEP Services. If your child needs an IEP, call me. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, I have, and so I, I now, I've always worked, I've been working in the hood, you know, for the last 10 years, basically I, as a behavior therapist and helping kids out with their behavior and finding, see, I'm in the schools all day. And so I started seeing a, a big issues what's going on with the school. Like, I see the problems in the schools all day. And so I basically created a company to fix that problem and a podcast for people to listen to who are going through the problem. Oh, that's good. You know, I love to hear that because Felicia and I talk about this at great length. Uh, coming from places where we don't have that many resources and have grown up on, you know, public assistance with mothers who have had some issues, <laughs> it would have been great to know mm -hmm. That we the resources that could possibly yeah. help because the stigma yeah. of mental health was such so paralyzing where I'm from yeah. that instead of dealing with it, you either you know they would lock the person in the room. That, mm -hmm. Oh, he's a crazy one. Just lock him in the room. You know, slide his food in the in the door and then lock it, or they they would just try to uh, um, intimidate you out of mm -hmm. it. Just remember, my, my are you all right? Suck it up. Yeah, you're not crazy. Come well, on. That's well, not just crazy for the people. fact when you start, my son has severe ADHD and he had to go to a school to deal with, um, you know, behavioral issues and like that. And my brother had that growing up. But just to, when you start reading facts about like 60% of the prison population, they say he suffers from ADHD. And I can't even imagine. I grew up on welfare and I can't even imagine how uh, you can get your child any help if you are underserved in this country when it comes to that mm -hmm. situation and the school's are uh, very unhelpful, but mm -hmm. they're trying, but it's very difficult. Yeah, man. So when people want to see you perform, because you guys are both like I, I read, I'm on Facebook with both of you and I read your posts and you both always write about thoughtful, heavy stuff. And you write about things that challenge people, which is some of the, some of the challenges that I have as a stand up comedian that people question if I'm mm -hmm. funny mm -hmm. because sometimes I can be heavy. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I, you know, I, get, I don't I do get that all the time. Yeah, I don't do stand up on the street. I don't do stand up at the gas station. You know, right, you don't right. open your mouth to the nearest dentist when you see him at the mall. <laughs> but uh, it's like, I'm a stand up comedian on stage and people say, just be funny. If you want to hear me tell jokes, pay to go see me perform, go to mm -hmm. my website, pick up a ticket and come see me do stand up. I'm not a jester. I'm not a clown. I happen to be a stand up comedian, but I'm also a, a mind. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to you guys, because you guys are both of that same ilk, you both are fighters. You guys are like movers. You're always trying to get people to move towards solution. How does that happen for you? Like in, in terms of that world? I know I, I have incorporated, I, uh, as I said earlier, grew up on welfare and I have incorporated some of the jokes that I wrote in my one woman show into my standup act. And I was just at the, in Las Vegas at the laugh factory and how, how I can incorporate that is, is you can take anybody down if you come at it from a neutral uh, point of view. If mm -hmm. I'm on stage and I'm all like, you know, F the man, blah, 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 which I do, and lots of dick <laughs> jokes. But, uh, but, but when I get to something really sticky, I have to clear the ground, you know, the playground and be like, you know, it's really terrible that we're all divisive. You know, <laughs> which is the worst. Mm -hmm. you know? But uh, I definitely grew up on welfare and I shared on Facebook 
about how it was my job when I was a kid to barter food stamps for things we couldn't buy with food stamps. And, you know, like toilet paper or tampons or shampoo or whatever. And people get very, very angry about even that. You know yeah. what I mean? And so uh, just to be able to write jokes about that has, has been really nice because I shamed myself for so long growing up in poverty and on welfare. So it's nice to come out of the closet on that and mm -hmm. to try to write jokes about it. Mm. It's it's I find it uh it's kinda tough for me to write to navigate and I haven't I still haven't found the sweet spot yet. Mm -hmm. Because I in my day job I am you know, I'm I'm working with the kids, you know what I mean, and I'm doing very like I'm all I'm out there fighting, you know what I mean, for my day job, but then when I'm when I, and then I'm a comedian. So like people who like book shows, they see my Facebook and they just assume that I'm not I'm not funny because I'm always running my mouth about social injustice and they just assume that, okay, he you you know, do you ever crack jokes? And then they come out to a show and they see I'm funny. I get two different reactions. I either get the "Oh, you were actually funny," or I thought you were going to be more militant on stage. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not. I'm, the stage isn't my. I'm not going there to soak and talk about everything wrong with the world on stage. I'm going there to make people laugh. I want to get as many laughs as I can get, and I'm gonna get hella ignorant and I'm gonna get hella informative. I'm gonna do both for you. And like, so like, I, I know I, I like the I like the informative jokes, but like the way I approach them. I approach them from, like you said, a neutral point of view, being silly, because I like talking about politics, but I'm the kind of comic, I'm going to talk about President Obama in front of a black audience. And I'm going to talk a lot of, lot of, I'm going to talk a lot of shit about him too, because um, I know y'all love him, but I'm going to say it in a way just to question your affiliation with him and make you laugh. I'm not going to push you off. And if I go to a Republican audience, I'm going to talk about Trump, because I know you love him. But I'm going to say it in a way that's going to make you question your affiliation with them. And at the end of the day, it comes out fun all the time. Do you yeah. change what you do in your act to of the audience that yes. you're in? You I, do? I, I don't write my set out. I go up there with ideas and concepts. And every night that I deliver my jokes, they're different. I really have to get myself solely in the moment. Like I have to be present in the room and allow the person that I was long before I became a comedian, just a funny, sarcastic person at the, at the barbershop, allow that person to come out on stage. And that's that right there has been the the transition, been the you know the work. But I'm eight years into comedy now, so it's like really finally starting to come out now. So tell people where they can find you um, on social media, your website. What we're trying to stay away from. Tell them how to find you <laughs> so that they can get information, so that they can come see you live. Um, all right, right now find me on Facebook, Dewan Brown, D W A N N Brown. I own my domain name for that and I also have another domain name for my for my company, but both sites are both being built right now, so neither are, are up. But you can get me eventually at DeWanBrown.com. You can get me eventually at BreakthroughAS.com. But for right now, just uh, have me on Facebook, Dewan Brown, D-W-A-N-N Brown. You can catch me at Felicia Michaels all across the board. And uh, it's FeliciaMichaels.net because I let the .com expire like 10 years ago and I can't get it back. I know. They try to sell it to you. I know. Um, okay, so we're going to take a quick bre break. And when we come back, we're going to come back with our guest of the second hour. We're going to be talking about uh, everything that's going on in celebrity news, what's going on in his hot world. And we want to hear from you, 310-986-6610. When we come back, we are coming back with Melvin Robert.
And thank you for coming back to Truth Serum. We are here. It, it is our second hour in our Guest Melvin Robert has joined us. Good to be here, guys. So good to be here. Thanks for the invite. I'm glad you are here. The last time I sat next to you, we were at uh, on the Young Turks. Yes. That's where we met. Yep. That was so fun. But you know what was really fun was that you told me you were getting ready to go do the Wendy Williams show. I did. Just Yeah. um, A couple weeks ago. It was awesome. It was so fun to be in New York. It couldn't, they could not have treated me better. Oh, good. She is, you know how TV is, it's super quick, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like 15 seconds before you're going to hit air. Right. <laughs> She's like, hi, how are you? Nice to see you. You know, it was that kind of thing. But she was lovely, very lovely off camera, super kind. Um, they want me to come back next season. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it was it was awesome. What did you talk about? We I covered, so I was on as an entertainment reporter, mm-hmm. which is what I do. So I was talking about the Kanye West um, listening, the album release party. Uh-huh. And then also, <laughs> crazy story about... Courtney Love being sued by her daughter's ex-husband um, over Kurt Cobain's guitar. Oh, I read about that. Yeah, that like they had gifted him, but then, you know, he, they're, the daughter, they got divorced, and so now it became this big thing, and so she was, um, he's suing her <laughs> for trying to kill him. So you- <laughs> Allegedly. He's try- no, I, I read about it, it got ugly. Right? Real ugly, yeah. But everything around Courtney Love always did Yes, yeah, yeah, always. Even suicide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, oh, oh, yeah. yeah look at the, the Cardi B right there, yeah. the, the bird. So let me, you are an entertainment reporter. Yeah. So you bask in the tea. Mm-hmm. So I reserved uh, talking about some of those things for when you got here because you actually reported as opposed to. Uh, so I think people don't know the difference between entertainment reporting and tabloids. Yep. So maybe you can help. You, we can start by you helping us with by defining those. So one of the things that I do, I have a background in education as a teacher. And so I'm always, my whole thing is how am I using my voice when I use my voice? Right. And so really my, my work, yes, it's entertainment, but my thing is always, so I've done culture and lifestyle, um, work. Mm -hmm. I was a contributor on the KTLA morning news for almost two years doing culture and lifestyle pieces. But my thing is like smart pop culture. So I would cover, you know, whether it was new studies that came out on, you know, how do you raise an honest kid or trending topics, but it was always like, what's the, what's the teachable moment? What's the deliverable moment? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just for people to laugh and have a good time. You know what I mean? But like on Wendy, they had me covering the Kanye West listening party. And one of the things that Kanye revealed on his album was that he struggled with bipolar disorder. And he was, you know, this whole conversation around mental health. Now I couldn't get into it as much as I would have wanted to on that type of a show. Um, But I really try to find the moment, even in the entertainment, even in the pop culture to really uplift people and to expand on people's consciousness. And to really look, I mean, people in the public eye, they're regular people like, like you and I, you know, and I feel like there's always something for all of us to learn from everybody. So, so the thing about him talking about having bipolar disorder was that when he talks about it in his music, he sounds like he's talking about pers- uh, multiple personality disorder. And I'm like, does he know what multiple personality <laughs> disorder is versus bipolar? Yeah. Because he's like, that's the other part of me. And I was like, uh, that's no. not bipolar. Sure, yeah. And when he even said that he views his bipolar disorder as a superpower. Right, I saw that. And you know, Wendy, when because when, I was in the reporter, you know, she was like, oh, really? A superpower? <laughs> <laughs> you know how she is. But, you know, and how, I mean, but he's, he really shared a lot of it about how, like, you know, when he went on TMZ about how, you know, slavery was a choice and how Kim was going to leave him and she was freaking out. And I mean, I don't know. I think it's, it's awesome that someone like him is coming into the, you know, really being vocal in the public eye about 
struggling with that because I think especially in ethnic communities, we're like mental health is like, eh, and by yeah. blah, 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 we're not, I'm not crazy. I don't need no therapy. I don't need this. Yeah, I don't need just, that. We're just <laughs> are right. Right. <laughs> but I think that someone like him, I think that it's important that he's doing that because I think that to the general collective, I think that that's a great opportunity to bring some awareness to mental health. So some of the things we talked about in the first hour, which I wanted to ask you about was that was, I read through, I went through some timelines. I went online and I saw that a lot of women in the beehive were rejecting Jay-Z. They were like, Beyonce, we want you, but stop forcing Jay-Z down our throats. And then the other things that, that a lot of people kept saying or kept repeating or the same, expressing the sentiment that they felt that Beyonce was emasculating Jay-Z. Mm. Have you been following their tour and the stuff that's going on with them? Yeah, yeah. You know, I go back to that moment in the elevator a few years ago, <laughs> right? When Solange, Where Solange popped him. And, and here's the thing, though. I still, <laughs> you look at that, Beyonce was standing there still. Right. Right? So clearly, if you're letting your sister pop him and do what she, clearly there was something like that's out of whack in that situation, right? Right. And I feel like e even in, in recent years, you know, they had On The Run 1, now they have On The Run 2, her sound has really changed. I mean, he's really had a great influence. And I was reading something um, and they were saying that it's it's in a lot of ways, it's this manufactured thing that he's done with her now. And, and she's, in some respects, has she the question, has she lost her own voice? Right. You know, and is she... You know, now trying to sweep under the rug, you know, what it what's happened and, and just so that people kind of go go with the flow and not real and just to kind of say, we're, we're fine, we're fine, but are they really fine? Oh. You know what I mean? Are you gonna watch any of the shows? Uh, I wanna go. I've never seen her live. Oh yeah, I've seen her ever. I've seen her live twice. Yeah, and yeah. I I've watched the um one of the, the, the concert specials that she did. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. Like she's a phenomenal performer. She is a great performer. She I, is. I saw Jay Z live last live last summer at the undersold tour that oh, he wow. had uh-huh yeah <laughs> well, actually you know what i saw jay-z and justin timberlake at the rose bowl a couple years ago so i've seen jay-z and that was a, a fun show but i'm not seeing beyonce and i saw a show with jay-z slick rick oh and uh it was jay-z slick rick ll cool j and dougie fresh it's probably the best concert i ever saw in my life and yeah. i was jay-z that before Jay-Z was like Hova. Yeah. This when he this when he was like still grinding, like oh, still cared. This man. when he like he put had on a jersey. If that okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he yeah. freestyled and it was in on South Beach. <clears throat> when I tell you everybody was like holding their heads like they do. They're like, oh, just holding their heads. <laughs> It was the best concert. Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh. Mm. Oh my! They put God. on a show. They mm. shut I've it seen down. Yeah. All people who didn't even know who they were were just like it was. There's nothing like a, a great concert. Mm -hmm. No. The best. Uh, who's on? Who's in concert now? What do you know? What, what um. You know? So I'm a super fan of Justin Timberlake. Okay. <laughs> I love Justin Timberlake, and I'm so mad that I missed the show at the Forum because I've been to like every one of his concerts, but I couldn't go because I had a gig that night. Mm -hmm. But I love Justin Timberlake. I'm Pink. I've been hearing really good things about oh, Pink. Sure. I love Pink. And but are recent... black people still going to see Justin Timberlake? Some they look. It looks like nah. they were they were idolizing him at one time. Is and this because of Janet? Is this because of the Janet? I don't know about Janet because. Janet happened and people still loved him because yeah. he didn't. He went on to do something with Timbaland, but it, it's like recently since he's been with Jimmy Fallon, yeah. it's like he's turned into. He was cool and then now he's like a white guy that's it, appropriating black. I culture. think part of it is because over the last, it's just the times have changed. In the last five years, a lot more has been going on since the days of Trayvon Martin, mm -hmm. and so just being your your absence is loud, dog. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you making all these Pharrell classics. These songs are gonna be hitting, gonna be hits no matter who sing on them. Mm-hmm. You just lucky he picked you to sing these songs. You know what I mean? They're gonna be hits regardless. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, cool. We don't mind you coming in on the culture a little bit, but if you just gonna be profiting off the culture, but you ain't got nothing to say, nothing. So that's that's kind of what it's been with you people. It's been like it your is? silence is deafening, dog. Mm-hmm. He said, your silence is loud. So, okay, so then I want to ask that question. What if artists decide that they don't want to chime in on social and political issues? Does that, is that okay now? Because some people don't want to do that. They just want to be artists. And on the other side, those of us who do do that, people tell us to shut up and stick to telling <laughs> jokes. Mm-hmm. What is is it okay if Justin Timberlake doesn't want to chime in or does he have a responsibility to the black community since he's profiting from them? You know, I feel that it really is up to that individual, you know, how they want to use their voice, how they want to use their platform. I think when you look at many of these high profile celebrities and their social media following, I mean, mm-hmm. he's got like 50 million, you know, I was just, like Kim Kardashian has what, like over a hundred million. But I mean, Beyonce has more than her. Oh, yeah. Always. And she, Beyonce always has at least 4 million more well, followers than Kim. <laughs> I, and dang. and wow, every time they go up, they go. That's it, awesome. It seems like that's it's crazy. like, it's not an accident. But I think that, but, <laughs> but, but, but the question is, I mean, that's an incredible platform and you have mm-hmm. people that are like, those people that follow these big celebrities, I mean, they're like diehard. So, I think, look, is there a power in doing so? Yeah. Do I feel like they, it's mandatory that they do it? No. Do I wish that more would? Yes. Mm -hmm. Because you have a captive audience, you know? But do I feel like they, it's like mandatory that everybody has to do it? No, you're saying, no, 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 I'm I'm agreeing. I'm I'm a kind of person. I don't like, I don't, I don't judge people. Mm -hmm. You are who you are. You know what I mean? The worst thing you can do is be a fake, uh, a fake person that's out there protesting. Yes. We know when it's fake. Right. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, I want people to be authentic and be real with whatever they do. You have to follow your heart. Everybody ain't like I'm a person that 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 does speak up, and I know the bullets I take. Yeah, you do. Everybody can't take these bullets. You mm-hmm. everybody ain't cut for this, and I understand that. But at the same time, when you are part, when it's nuanced, when you're part of the dominant society that's constantly mistreating the people who are. Uh, who support your music like without these people there mm-hmm. is nothing that you do you can't mm-hmm. exist without them you don't write your own stuff mm-hmm. you don't produce your own stuff you don't have the talent the talent is the people behind you and their children and so now that you're in this dynamic and you're making money off of it i'm not saying you got to go be mr rah 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 wear red black and green but at the same time you it, it'd be nice if you use your voice because your people obviously aren't listening to us but they listen to you so maybe if you want to keep making this music now, if you if you if you didn't need us, then do what you. I don't, I don't care that if 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 if, 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 if what's her name uh, Miley Cyrus says anything or not. She, you know, what I mean, I don't care if Garth Brooks says anything or not. Garth Brooks isn't profiting off the culture, mm-hmm. but you are, homie. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, do I you want do you want to keep eating? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I mean, look, that that's a valid point. You know, I, um, somebody who I think does a really good job of using her platform for good in a in an ethnocentric way is Gina Rodriguez. Yeah. On Monday, she's got hashtag movement Mondays and she's highlighting, you know, um, Latinos in the industry. Right. And I feel like that's a great example of how to use your platform for good and how to use your voice for good and how to also, you know, highlight individuals and move a conversation forward that, you know, is is kind of of the pop culture 
um, space that's really mm -hmm. in that space. So I feel like, yes, and that's a good way of using your power for good right. and really seeing, I mean, you know, hey, Oprah's a prime example. If she gets into something, my other, is my spiritual mother, like if she gets into something, you know she's gonna change mm -hmm. the movement, you know, of the, of the collective. And I think that when people see themselves and they see, I mean, hey, look at recently um, Kim Kardashian and the woman that she helped. Right. You know, so I mean, that's, there's power in it. And, um, but it's how you do it and it's level of comfort because, you know, like we're saying, not everybody wants to get in all that. I think that all of that was though, all of that make, made me look at it with the side eye because it was mm. right after Kanye said he was supporting Donald Trump. Then Kim goes and the lady gets released and then Kanye's album comes out. <laughs> it was all like, yeah. right, you know, so it just all seemed pretty calculated, all seemed connected. Um, but you know, hey, I'm glad that that woman is out, and that was at the end of the day. I just hope that more. There are a whole lot of other others yes. that are still yes. locked up wrongfully, and that and that should have been, you know, the launch pad of a movement as opposed to a one time thing. So you yes. can wear, you know, cornrows on the red carpet. Yeah, yeah. People like Trump. They use this is it's, it's, it's we need a systematic change, and the, mm. like the people are so used to just things, imagery, like like gestures. And so, as we see, you know, it was a great gesture that he did getting her out of prison. I'm not, you know, hating on that. Like, yeah. cool. But where's where the systematic follow-up? Yeah. And it seems as if everyone has sort of forgotten about it. So, for, as far as Trump goes, it worked. Let me get this photo out. They're going to forget about it. And we did. Mm -hmm. Let's move on. And I feel like what you said about where's the systematic change, I feel like, in general, we're very quick, you know, the, the general collective, we're very quick to address an issue, an isolated issue. But then where's the follow-up? And as you said, there's plenty of other women. So right. where's the systematic change? Right. That's how we grow, mm -hmm. you know, and that's how we really get to the root and and correct an issue, right? Mm -hmm. Rather these one-off things, I mean, you know, we're back in the same place. So we're, we're you know, um, replicating a cycle. Mm -hmm. But it really is about a systematic change. And I feel like that's across the board what we need right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was so a great point. I want to ask you, what's the most memorable story, entertainment news story that you've ever covered? most memorable um i did a piece on it was more pop culture on um on the ktla morning news about this clinical psychologist released an article about this is gonna be, be like what but about the top five things that we can learn from donald trump that you could teach your children okay, okay? And at first, when they approached me with it, I was the producer. I was like, what? And I literally said, what is there to possibly learn mm -hmm. from, from, from this man? Like, what? And she's like, read the article. So I read this article, and it, and it was basically to <laughs> take a lot of the things that he's doing. Like, one of the things was, I'm sorry is not a magic eraser. One of the things was about decency and respect, right? So it, it was a really interesting piece, and it was actually that day. It was a problem because it was like the highest. My segment was the highest rated part of their whole like seven hour morning show block. Wow! Because of the, the report and what I brought to it, but that that piece, you know, because I feel like even in the midst of chaos and even in the midst of craziness that's going on, there's always something for us to learn, right. and it really is about finding the meaning in the experience. Um, and so it was that, you know, believe it or not, you know, and like I said, the points were really valid, you know, um, mm -hmm. you can't just say crazy things and then say, I'm sorry. And then everything is magically wiped away. Right. You, oh, that, I mean, you can use them as an example. I, that, yeah, that's what it was. And it was really about that. I thought it was a really smart piece. 
So what do you, what is the big picture for you? Like if you had your druthers, what would you be doing on television right now? I would have a show in similar likeness to um, an Oprah, that style of a show where mm-hmm. I'd be able to, to, you know, talk to public figures um, about their stories. And uh, I would be able to um, really use my voice. And I mean, I'm a teacher at heart. So everything mm-hmm. that I do, it really comes from that place. I worked in education for 11 years. Um, you know, I have a, my master's degree is focused in human development and counseling. So I'm very humanistic in the way that mm-hmm. I approach everything. So I would love, I mean, that would be like my dream is to be able to do a show, to be able to teach lessons through people, through events, you know, and really expand the, you know, the consciousness of the world. I mean, that's really my, my dream and like what I really want to do mm-hmm. and, you know, um, to talk to people. And I mean, to do what Oprah had a tremendous platform. My grandma and I used to watch Oprah together and I would say, that's what I want to do. Oprah is a teacher for the whole world. And I mean, that's what I really, whatever I do, I really want there to be that, you know, uh, teaching that educational component to it. So it'd be a show like that. That's beautiful. So I'm sitting here with Melvin Robert. Dewan B is still in the house. Me and Darren are kicking it on Truth Serum. If you have anything you want to share with us, what's your truth? 310-986-6610. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back... We got some questions, some hot seat questions for Melvin. But I just want to point out that I'm in the studio sitting between two black men who are both educators and have an emphasis on mental well-being. Talk about uh, your stereotypes. We'll be right back.
to. That's an 80s playlist. You know, every week I like to flip it. And um, we've been a little bit on the volatile side, Darren. We've been hitting them hard. Um, last week we had, um, oh, well, we played This Is America and uh, the the song that they said Donald Glover stole from. American, oh, yeah. American uh, and you and I had a mm-hmm. disagreeing uh, points on that because I was listening to it and I was like, we didn't think that it it didn't sound that much like the song. I, I don't feel like he stole it. I go back to old George Clinton line. The foundation for inspiration is the motivation. And that's what it f- felt like. It felt like. Ooh, say you, that again. That was yeah, good. The foundation for inspiration is the motivation. And so it sounded to me when I when I listened to. I'm a drummer. Uh-huh. So I listened to rhythms. And so when I, when, I, when I just felt the rhythms in my heartbeat, I could understand like, okay, I see why, you know. It felt like it was so, derivative. It felt like it was a derivative. It, it wasn't an exact plagiarism, but it did feel like a, a derivative. Okay. But at the same time, you know, that's how it is in music. You know but what a, I mean? And yeah, it could have been two like minds. And also in the in the time where we are right now, two black men can have songs about how the fucked only, up the America only, is. The only thing, the only thing that threw me off was song about how fucked up America. The only thing that threw me off was Donald Glover generally don't rap about. You know, Childish Gambino. That's not really his style. So it was such a departure from what he does. That's what made me think twice. Like mm, maybe he did because this don't sound. This doesn't sound like your voice. Did you have you know? to cover that? No. No, you did. Good for you. <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, I, I I look at people who I I respect and I know that they're doing their job and I can read on their faces. Like, I don't want to be doing this right now. Like, I, this is not what... And, and you've seen all the movies about it. I want to write stories about politics. And they're like, go write the story about lipstick. And it's just, you got you to gotta earn the politics and you start through the lipstick. And if you don't write about the lipstick, you're going to get fired and you'll never write about the politics so I look at, you know, and everything. You see that in everything. Every that The feeling of selling out, you know, like you just explained, you know, having to, to do some things that you wouldn't normally want to do because you're, it's part of the job and it makes you feel kind of icky. You feel like you got to take a shower afterwards, mm-hmm. which is probably why I don't do certain shows because I mm-hmm. know that I'll never do that, you know. Mm-hmm. So there, I uh, we always ask our guests um, on our second hour to share three truths about themselves that the public doesn't know. And so I wanted to know what your three truths are. So um, the first is that I have a really poor sense of direction. Okay. <laughs> like I have to put, I put everything in my GPS or Google. I have mm-hmm. such a poor sense of direction. Oh my gosh. Um, the, the second one is that I don't like messy food. And so like when I was a little boy, if I would eat like a burger or a sandwich, you know, sometimes you take a bite and everything like slides off of it. I would start to cry because like I hate like so messy food. Um, and then the, the final thing that people are always so surprised to hear about me is that I, as much as I'm upbeat and as much as I love people, I really value quiet time and I can be a little bit of a loner. And I can like spend like a weekend at a time, just like the whole mm-hmm. weekend, like home alone, not doing anything, not talking to anybody, maybe vegging out on TV, maybe not, maybe writing. But people are always so surprised to hear that I need, I need my personal, my quiet time. People can't believe that about mm-hmm. anybody anymore because people, everybody needs attention. And mm-hmm. if you're not with anyone, you'll log on to Facebook Live and you're like, look at me, look at me, look at me. People mm-hmm. are always seeking. Especially nowadays. Oh, mm-hmm. it's crazy. And people, because I'm my, like, 
people like I'll go to a movie by myself. I'll go to a restaurant by myself. Like I, I don't have any problem doing anything alone. And people are, <laughs> hear that their friends or people that I meet, they're like, you go alone to a movie? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you go to a restaurant by yourself? I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I do a lot of things by myself. I don't mind. I'm so used to it being on the road. Mm-hmm. I always, I'm always going to the movies or, and I haven't been on the road as much as I usually have been. But when I was on the road, I would always go. I, I remember going to see Dear White People in <laughs> Columbus, Ohio, and going to see uh, The Purge in Denver. Like, I'm always having mm-hmm. to do that because it's it's just part of being on the road. You got to go do something. Um, so you uh, you are an entertainment reporter. You're a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the other things you like to do? I'm that, a singer and I'm an actor. I don't know. I just found out Dwan yeah. was a drummer. Like, yeah. I gotta step my my game up. Like, <laughs> I got my start in the entertainment business, uh, doing musical theater. Um, my first job was a, a show called The Bayou Legend with Debbie Allen, and oh, it was a, yeah. a Broadway-bound musical with music by James Ingram, mm-hmm. and it starred uh, Loretta Devine and Tisha Campbell Martin. Um, and that was my first my first gig because I was I always want to sing and dance, um, and I used to get in trouble as a kid for talking to people because I was talking to everybody and then not being able to keep still because I was always like performing and, and my dad would be like, boy, you better, you know, get your ass over here and sit down. You know, what are, what are you talking to? Boy, stop moving around. Yeah. Do you always hear music? And my little brother would say, he always, I do. Like I, I my life is a musical. Um, so that's always like, I wanted to sing and I wanted to dance. And so that's how I got my start. And then, you know, the inter- the the TV stuff, really inside of the last five years, I'd always wanted to, to do TV. I'd always want to be a TV host. I'd always wanted to be a reporter and give people information, but I got caught up. I was teaching and then I was doing musical theater and I, my priority was just on, you know, that part of the industry. And so inside of the last five years, I really transitioned into doing, you know, TV and, and being a reporter and being a host. And it's been great. It's been Dude, awesome. When we were on the Young Turks. You were telling me about you were going to be in something with someone really big and then your dad made you oh yeah so okay um megan markle the duchess of sussex that's right yeah she was in um a play at my high school um and i i was in 10th grade she was a senior she was in damn yankees and i wanted to audition for that show so bad but i was still in the athletic portion of my childhood i was playing soccer and i was running track and I really wanted to audition and my mom and dad, you know, I had agreed that I would play sports one more year. So I did an audition and now I'm like, um, I could have been at the castle. I could have been at the wedding. I could have been a guest. We would have been great friends, you know? <laughs> so yeah, bummer. The the Duchess. Yeah. <laughs> I love to hear that though. It just, I, it may, you know, it's funny. I was around a group of people at a comedy show and there were a few white girls who I know that I know deep down inside they got mm-hmm. a little racist tinge to them you know like I don't yeah. they, 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 they'll they say oh I have bad friends but when we were talking about the Duchess which I always insist that people you know call her the Duchess I could see on them that they were like, ugh, that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> why does she get to be? Why does she get to be? <laughs> she she renewed the hope in my dream. Maybe I'll get to be a a, a prince or a princess one day. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe, you know, like she she renewed. Yeah, you know the thing about her is that even the people at um, I went to Loyola High, and um, even the people there that that knew her. I mean, she they said she's the loveliest was the kindest person. And a couple of the teachers that knew her well sent handwritten notes to congratulate her to Kensington Palace. And she wrote back. 
nice. Yeah, and because they, they said that like she was in high school, like the kindest, most genuine, loving, sweet like person. Yeah. Um, and the only so, people I've heard hate on her are her white relatives. Her dad, man. Yeah, her dad and her siblings. Why is he still? Why is he still talking? And why do people? I know why people take the interviews because of the ratings, but <laughs> it's too much. And the sister, yeah. when the sister was on, I think it was Pierce Morgan. Pierce Morgan like jammed her up mm -hmm. and was like in her stuff about like, you know, do you really even know her? Like when's the last mm -hmm. time you talked to her? And she's like, well, five years ago, like oh. it means this whole thing. So he's like, it's like, why are you, what, this is serving you in mm -hmm. what way, you know, by, by pushing a narrative forward to someone you don't really know. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate, you know, but yeah. hating is real. You know what I, I say to like people? Good kid. You know what I say to people who don't like uh, the new duchess? I say, well, hell, don't go to Charlotte, North Carolina, because Charlotte, North Carolina is named after Queen Charlotte. She was a Moor, uh -huh. and she was the actual queen of England out of Ireland. So this this ain't this ain't nothing new. This is like NBC. Dun, this dun, ain't dun, nothing dun. new. The more you know, I didn't. That's Charlotte, awesome. Thank North you. Carolina, <laughs> Queen Charlotte was a Moor. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's nice to know. Yes. The more, the merrier. Let's the seventeen hundreds. Yes, it's just three hundred years ago. Wasn't that long ago? It's not that long. No, it isn't that long ago. When you think about things and mm -hmm. you put them into perspective. So, what's next for you, Melvin? So next, you know, I am looking for the next project. Auditioning. Mm -hmm. um, I'm writing. Um, I did a, a solo show in April, uh, April twenty second, of me singing. I did twelve songs. It's called Heart and Soul. And um, I, you do it? I did it at the Rockwell and Los Feliz. So I recorded my first ever album. I recorded that show. So I went to the studio, recorded an album. So that'll be out probably the end of July. So I'm super excited about that. What kind of music? Um, it's everything. So it's it's Broadway, it's um, R&B, it's pop, and it's acoustic. Oh. So it was an acoustic set. Yeah. Um, and it was just so fun. It was such a fun experience. And the music director I was working with, he, before my show, he said, hey, I mean, I don't know that now is the right time to have this conversation. You're getting ready to hit the stage. But me and the musicians were talking and we were wondering, like, you should think like you should record this album. Would you be interested in doing that? And I was like, yes, I've always wanted to do that. And I've done a number of solo shows, but just never been in the studio to record music. So I'm so excited to, mm, to cool. have done it. Yeah, so July, we'll be able to find it. Where? Yeah, iTunes. It'll be on iTunes. It'll be on Spotify. And what's it called? It's, you know. I'm not sure of the title yet. Okay. I'm still sorting untitled. it out. Yeah, yeah it's untitled. Um, the show was called Heart and Soul, but I don't know if the album will be called Heart and Soul. You don't um, want to be named after a black magazine. My dad had a grocery store. He used to sell that. Oh, yeah. That magazine was on the shelf. Your dad had a grocery store where? In Inglewood. On oh. the corner at um, 90s, no, Van Ness and Arbovita. That was your dad's place, F&M Market. Yeah. That's my dad's store. I did not know that. Till 2001, it was my, in my family. So it was um, my grandfather, you know, purchased it, and then he passed away, and then my dad took it over. So it was that whole corner, the, mm -hmm. the three storefronts, the stores. So it was an old school butcher shop, mm -hmm. um, and then a grocery store. Yeah. I spent many. Does, does he not own it anymore? Not anymore. Not, we, my family sold it in 2001. Yeah, they they sold it to black people? Um, that's a good question. It's next to Big Red know. Fish, right over there. It's near yeah, Big okay. Red Fish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you are like a real LA native. Born and raised. What uh, high school did you go to? Life. I went to Loyola High School. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd you go? I went to Westchester. Oh, that was my first job. Yeah. Um, 2003, I worked uh, at Westchester High. Okay. I yeah. did the AVID program. Okay. Yeah. That's it was my up. first. See, yeah. Locals. Yeah. That's man, right. For sure. I love to see that. Not enough of us. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Because Los Angelinos get a bad rap, and it's usually the import. It's the import. It's not us. It's yeah. The no. Imports. The people that I meet that are from Los Angeles, the ones that haven't robbed me are cool. 
<laughs> oh. Ooh, I got robbed before. <laughs> Me uh, too. Yeah. I've been robbed before at gunpoint. At gunpoint? Yeah. Where? I was, it was a, on the side of my mom and dad's house, actually, on a Saturday afternoon. I was. What'd they take? My phone and my wallet. Mm. It was a woman, too. What? Yeah. I was, yeah, at two o'clock, Saturday afternoon. Um, had just gotten home from, from teaching a Saturday program. Mm. And then I was on the phone. And I was finishing up a phone call. Next, you know, these people like drove by. My parents live on a corner. They live on 82nd Street. So it wasn't uncommon that people would drive by mm -hmm. looking for 82nd Place. So I didn't think anything of it. Next, you know, the car came back. And then she came up to the car, you know, this navy blue hoodie, baggy pants. And the car looked really shady. Like mm -hmm. it was like a gold car. It had um, trash bags for the windows in the back. Oh, man. And then they asked me for directions. So I was like, see, they were lost. And then she had a gun. Uh, what'd she do what'd she say she I'm was not, I'm she because because i was on the phone and so <laughs> talking to a friend and i you know i was like oh my god you know and i hear my friend like melvin melvin are you okay and because it was that oh my god like something is right. wrong mm -hmm. and then she was just like once you stay calm like i don't want to hurt you and she was had the gun on my leg and i in my brain i was like god like when they talk about your life flashing before mm -hmm. your eyes or, and I, I was like already bracing for the impact like that as if she shot my leg mm -hmm. i was already like braced like it had happened and she was like, just keep, stay calm. I don't want to hurt you. Just give me your phone. Give me your keys. Give me your wallet. Give me your cash. And I was like, I don't have cash. And she kept hitting my pockets. And I was like, I don't have. And I like emptied out my pockets. I'm like, I'm, you know, panicked. And then she ended up just taking my phone. And then my friend, I hear my friend like, Melvin, are you okay? She's like, hang up the phone. <laughs> so I hung up the phone. She took my wallet. took my, you know. And then they took off down the street. And then me. In the moment, I was like following them. So I'm like, let me get their, let me get their drive, you know, something. <laughs> and, then the and anyway, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, so yeah. anyway, and then it was crazy. It was, a, it was crazy. It took me a, a while to get my bearings back yeah, that's after weird. that. Very what? much. It was 2008. Wow, yeah. 2008. 10 years ago. You wow. ever been robbed? Nah. And that's the funny part about it. Like, I hear all these stories, and I grew up in the middle of the hood in L.A. You know, two different parts in the hood, 58th and Broadway, Crenshaw and Rodeo. Mm. So I grew up on the east side of the hood and the west side of the hood. But <laughs> I've only gotten approached by a gang one time. I mean, what I grew happened? up in the 80s and the 90s. I mean, my dog got out the backyard. This is like 92. You know what I mean? My dog got out the backyard, and I'm running down the street, and some dude like, where are you from? Because I had some blue shoes on in the red neighborhood. I was like, I'm in elementary school, man. I ain't got time for this. And walk back to my house. Like, all the reputation for what people talk about L.A., like, it never happened to me. And I grew up in the middle. I grew up in BPS hood. Mm -hmm. I, you, know, my, my, you know, I grew up in the middle of the hood hood. But, mm -hmm. like, L.A. always generally had, outside, you know, random things can happen to you. Like, sure. what happened to him. But that can happen on any side of town. Right. Um, as far as, like, the whole reputation of everybody in the hood wants you to jump into a gang and everybody's in the gang. Like, no, I, I played basketball in the drums. They left me alone. Right. Yeah, that's what I, I, a lot of my friends who were comedians that grew up in L.A. say that the arts saved their lives. Oh, yeah. Play basketball, you good. So um, Mexico has a new president. And have you guys been reading about this? Because Donald Trump tweeted about it and was like, I look forward to. And I was like, none of the other ones liked you. So... <laughs> What makes you think this one and you are going to be cool? Like, like he was like, I look forward to doing big things with him. And I, and I know that that's just sprinkling more for his mm -hmm. base to say, I'm working on this wall. I know mm -hmm. what it is. But have you guys read? Have you read anything? about I saw it? I got an email today from CNN, like a CNN mm -hmm. update, but I didn't have a chance to read it about there were certain deliverables or there's this vision that he had, but I didn't read the full article. I like Vincente, the old president who's always going off on him because mm -hmm. he's 
amazing on social media. Oh yeah, and about the wall, like oh. that was the with all the, the, the talk about the wall, and it was like we are not paying for it. He tweeted about it. <laughs> yeah, Tweet? and he tweets at. I think Donald Trump has blocked him. Yes, because he's always oh, going, he goes hard. Because it's like the most interesting man in the world gangbanging on Twitter on the president of the United States. He's right. like, look here, cause that ain't the, going. The down. funniest thing about Donald Trump and his tweets is the memes that they made for English teachers about all the oh. grammatical errors and how if you were an English teacher, I've seen those and like all the errors he has, words misspelled, incorrect punctuation, I mean everything. Oh, but that's man. what happens when you tweet at... He, yeah, he tweets like he has nub thumbs. Like yeah. his thumbs aren't there, just a little nub. And that's why you're know, missing the letters and everything. That's how you tweet. I'm always... Uh, I read some of his tweets. Um, I follow him and I follow Melania. And... Sometimes I've, I've, I'll read a tweet and I'll be like, I'll never be able to get those five seconds back of my <laughs> life. Like, I can't believe I just invested. Uh, what did I think was going to happen on this tweet that didn't happen on all the others? Like, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll see a thread and I'm like, ugh. Like, with Trump. I got to read it, though. I'll read him. Like, I literally laugh at mostly what he does. He's hilarious to me. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, He's going to push his agenda whether I agree with him or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you look at his agenda he's pushing, it's no different than what the Republicans ran off of in 2016, 2012, 2008, 04. This is stuff that they had ready and waiting just for one of them to get in office and sign. So for us to spend our day just letting him stress us out, like mm -hmm. we two and a half years in, like he can't keep stressing us out, folks. We got to start thinking about 2018, mm -hmm. 2020. We got to start strategizing. And people need to vote. I mean, you, you heard people talk about that. I mean, it's one thing to go out and protest. It's one thing to use your social media or to use your voice to do interviews, to, to make a YouTube video. I mean, to do all this, all that stuff. But really, it's about voting. And voting locally, too. Yes. That's more. more that's so important because that directly affects yeah. us. And we've talked about that on the show before. People don't realize, like, the guy who, the judge who was so lenient on that swimmer who raped that woman that was passed out he, they got him out of there. Mm -hmm. And that hadn't happened since the 1920s. Mm -hmm. And the DA that was responsible, um, that was on the case of the Trayvon Martin case, they got her out of there. They voted her out of there. So it does make a difference. Look, look at what happened up north uh, in San Francisco this a few weeks ago. The uh, the judge that uh, allowed, remember, Brock Turner was a That's what separate, I just yeah, said. Are you hey. listening to me? No, I didn't hear I the name. I just said I the man who was lenient I thought you were talking about, you said the man. Who raped the girl who I was passed the swimmer. Out. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I know it was Brock Turner. I, I forgot. He, I just knew his name. I forgot he was oh, a swimmer. Oh, yeah, no. He was a swimmer. Oh, he was a swimmer, wasn't he? Privileged swimmer. And they got his ass out of there. Yeah, they got him out of there. And that judge said, you know, he felt sorry for him because he could see himself in him. So... Um, and he compared that decision to Brown versus Board, uh, Board of Board Education. Board of Education, yeah. he did. So uh, if if you hear that uh, message, and it will be a resounding message here at Truth Serum. We are going to continue to remind you the importance of voting. Everybody that comes on the show keeps telling you how important it is to vote. So if you're listening, please make sure you are registered because it will make a difference. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are coming back to Truth Serum. I'll say it for you. And a few more things that you didn't know about Melvin Robert. Dwan B is still in the house. Hey. And uh, Darren is over there chilling. Mm -hmm. He got on his black hoodie. But he going to live in here. All right, we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Dewan are uh, talking about a very dynamic school in the city of Los Angeles that they both have had experiences with. Mm -hmm. But we are live here on Truth Serum. We're going to thank you for tuning in for the last hour or so. And we have been talking about our topic of the day is, Melvin, how important is it to you to disconnect from the matrix? And we've evolved into this conversation where we're now talking about you getting robbed in the hood at gunpoint. Um, which in at, during that time, you would have posted that on social media and got 2,000 likes and people would have been like, oh man, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is so funny because now that everything that happens to people, you know, trauma porn is such a big thing. That's what I call mm-hmm. it. But um, I like that term. Trauma porn. It is. It's mm-hmm. so it and is. it's so it's very accurate. It's very accurate. Yeah, very and you know, it's very popular with people of color. Like I, I was talking uh, to an, an executive at a network who wanted to see my comedy hour, and um, I had a lot of things, a lot of social issue commentary, and they said, "We could you focus more on your." You know, we like to hear like about what happened to you in your life, and and I was like, you guys want trauma? You guys want to see that trauma porn? You, know? like, you love that when it they comes do, to people of color. <laughs> like Amy Schumer can go talk about her pussy. <laughs> she can tell Donald Trump to eat a dick. She can talk about feminism. But you Puerto Rican girl, we want to hear about get you get kidnapped. You want to hear about <laughs> your life in America? Yeah, <laughs> I was born in Boston. Yeah, right. Your parents weren't shit, were they? They was talking yeah. about it. <laughs> you had good parents. Shut up. Man, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's so crazy. So I'm making a pact with myself that I am limiting my hours on social media. First of all, I don't want to start my day by going straight to social media, which I don't. The very first thing that I do, which is just as bad, is check my bank account <laughs> as if it changed in any way from the day before. I check my bank account every day when I wake up. I don't know why it's this trauma from being poor, you know, and I'm like, I get trauma from looking at it. So I mean, I don't want to look at that shit. (laughs) They took it. They took it. I'm scared that they're going to take it. But I'm doing like this thing where I want to, I want to like allocate a certain amount of time for social media because I have the social media Mm -hmm. for work and stuff, but I don't want to be on it all the time because it does, it's been affecting me. I've been like down and I keep getting these headaches. It can control you. Yeah. It feels like, it doesn't feel good, you know? And I, I remember when first, when social media first became all the rage, it was enjoyable. It was like mm-hmm. watching TV or, or something else. Um, but no. Because even when Facebook came on the scene, you had to be in college to even get on mm-hmm. Facebook. It was so much more control. Yeah. You had to have a college email. I mean, that's the way that they had designed it. But, you know, then everything just opened up. The floodgates opened up, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's the thing is that it's given us like this access anytime, anyplace. Anybody can be a social activist. You get on Facebook Live, Instagram yeah. Live. You, you don't ever leave your house. Report stuff, the trauma porn. I mean, like, yeah. you know, and people are just feeding into it. You don't, mm-hmm. You're not even registered to vote, but you're leading yeah. the resistance on the Twitter. The lines have Hello. been blurred between uh-huh. life and, and social media. And where's the congruency there, right? Yeah. You're mm-hmm. what you just said. You're all about it on online, but when, when, when it comes down to it, that's not going to change Anything. Outcome. Absolutely. The voting mm-hmm. will. Go mm-hmm. vote. And it's, it's yeah, it, it gets really annoying. On a lighter note, I watched, um, I wanted to cover, I wanted to mention a story because I want to start not focusing, but I want to make sure that I mention something positive here. So a youth soccer team that had been stranded and lost, 13 people, 13 boys were found alive after nine days. Mm. Two swimmers found them. 
And, you know, they still haven't fully rescued them because they have to figure out how to get them out of this cave. But they are alive. It's in Thailand? Well. Yeah, yeah, in Thailand. And then I was watching the pictures of the family members when they found out that they were still alive. And the uh, the two swimmers, um, I guess they're Navy SEALs. You know, they were they they asked the kids, how many of them, how many of you? And they said 13. And his response was 13. Brilliant. That means that everybody was alive. So. That's my good news story for That's the day because mm-hmm. I think we need to hear positive stuff. Yes, we do. And people being nice and kind to each other in in person. Uh, the other thing is that I checked out uh, the first few episodes of Black Lightning. I'm be- I'm mm-hmm. behind, and it was really refreshing. It's a cool show. To I, see it. Yeah, I just can't get past that scooter from Living Single saving. Yeah, people. I know, but Scooter has <laughs> got a six. It's on the CW, right? Yeah. yeah. You know what was amazing to me was that uh, Lala and uh, Lawanda, who were both his students, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, how old is he? Because he looks yeah. younger than yeah. his students. Like, you, <laughs> he was like, when they were like, he was like, they were my students. I'm like, but she looks like your mama. <laughs> so it was very, uh, it was fun to watch. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to keep watching it. I did watch The Handmaid's Tale, and I got to tell you, that it drove me to the deepest and darkest place. So I'm glad that the season is over so that I can see if I'm going to recover and watch again because it was <laughs> it's too heavy and too similar to what's going on. I need on. to, I not watched it. Man, it's heavy, 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 heavy. So, Dewan, tell people where they can find you on social media. Dewan Brown, D-W-A-N-N Brown on Facebook and Dewan B on Twitter and Instagram. And Melvin, how can they find um, you? Instagram underscore Melvin, M-E-L-V-I-N, Robert. No S underscore Melvin Robert on Instagram, Melvin Robert spelled out on Facebook and at underscore Melvin Robert on Twitter. I could have said that in a simpler way, so but I didn't. So sorry. Okay. <laughs> and your album is coming out. Yeah, in sometime July. in July. Yes. Yeah, so, untitled. Yeah, untitled. But we it'll not be calling it, it hard, so. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we, we X that in, on the yeah, show. Yeah. But I you know it. what? D'Angelo released Untitled. Uh-huh. Untitled. And that shit was phenomenal. So. Was Maybe it'll great. just be. Melvin. Melvin. Why not? Maybe. Well, well, uh, you know what? You could call that bitch, I survived the block. Okay? <laughs> you like only did. You got Jenny from the block and you got I survived the block. I survived the block. <laughs> you know what? So uh, I wanted to ask you, you got robbed at gunpoint. The girl took your phone. She took your wallet. Did you cut off your wallet, your credit cards in time before they got an opportunity yes. to spend? Yes. And my phone. And your phone. Yep. And I was able to go online and get a printout of the, the call list so I could call the friend that I was talking to who heard everything Oh. and tell her that I was okay. I wonder if they have pictures of her at the ATM machine or <laughs> at a business trying, trying to, trying use, to use the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you see, that's what happens when you watch because years and years of law and order. There was, a guy, there was a dude in the, in the car, and when the police came, the police said, well, oddly enough, it's usually the woman that's driving because it throws you off. Because right. you're inspecting to see a man. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so there was a Makes guy in the sense. car she, yeah, who was driving, and she was in the passenger. Man. Yep. I, well, I'm glad you're okay. Me too. And you know what? That wallet and that phone probably did not change the conditions of that young woman's life. No. So I'm hoping that at some point she turned the corner for mm-hmm. the better and that now she probably is getting herself together so that one day she can write you an apology letter mm-hmm. and she can buy your album on iTunes because hey. that bitch owes you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, to Truth Serum. We will be back next week. And uh, my I'll Say It For You will be short and sweet today. 
I've been looking online, which I'm going to take a break from because it is exhausting and depressing. And I've been watching two patterns, black people and brown people scoffing at black and brown people who don't have an education and black and brown people who don't have an education scoffing at the ones that do. And I think that it's important to celebrate all aspects of our spectrum. Everybody has a different journey and we all want to reach the top. Everybody's not going to reach it the same way. My point is that we need all of our soldiers because what is lined up against us is real and it's coming for all of us, whether we have an education or not. When they pull over these black men, they don't know who they are. We have to be conscious of how we treat ourselves and each other because our humanity and the way people treat us is depending on it. Stop dehumanizing your own. Stop mistreating people who look like you and stop shitting on those who have a different journey than yours. You have no excuse and no justification for devaluing somebody's journey because it's different than yours. <sighs> and that is real. I'll say it for you, Ida Rodriguez. We'll be back next week and we are out. Came dancing to my door Last night